Why, hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of Demi Mond Paranormal Podcast. In tonight's episode, we are going to be talking about a house that may not look haunted, and it's in a very unsuspicious place. It's somewhere that you wouldn't think ghosts and demons would hide. This episode is going to be pretty creepy in my opinion, actually. Um, you may be pretty familiar with this case. It's the case that um, has to do with Zach Bacon's. He bought the house, which is located in Gary, Indiana. This house is known as the Demon House. The 200 Demons Haunting, or a.k.a. the Ammons Haunting. Now, the house is located in Gary, Indiana, as we said, and it's on 3860 Carolina Street. But before before we get into the actual story, I'm going to take a quick minute here to introduce myself to any new listeners out there. I'm Tori from Demimond Paranormal. You can find us on Facebook as well, the same name as you see here on Anchor or whichever podcast platform you are listening to this podcast episode on. And if you do decide to join our little family, we'll be glad to have you. Just enter our name onto the search bar in Facebook.com and we should come up. We'll be glad to add you to our happy little paranormal family. Now, with that being said, let's just dive right in to the very strange and creepy, terrifying story of the Ammons haunting, a.k.a. the Demon House. How you guys like them spooky effects in the background? Okay, y'all, so welcome to our first segment. And tonight, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit of a background story of to how the Ammons got into the situations that they did. And let me tell you, this story is quite the extravagant one. So, let me just begin by saying that the year that this story begins in is 2011 in Gary, Indiana. So, in November of 2011, Latoya Rose 
and Latoya's three children, and Rose is Latoya's mother. So she's the grandmother of Latoya's children. Now, Latoya's kids were only 7, 9, and 12 at the time. And let me just start by saying that Latoya has said that she did not want her kids' names out in the public. So, throughout this podcast episode, you guys are probably going to hear me just referring to each child as the 7-year-old or the 9-year-old or the 12-year-old. Now, it was only days after the move-in, the initial move-in, that the Ammons family claimed that there were swarms of black flies all around the porch in December, and everybody, their porch was screened in, so it wasn't like it was, you know, an outside porch where just anything, any kind of insect could, you know, just come in the perimeter. No, this porch was completely screened in and this was in the middle of December a bit cold for flies so that was a red flag number one and even these flies they just came they kept coming back each and every time the Ammons family thought they had these flies killed the flies would just keep returning and coming back over and over again just swarms of these black flies. Now, Rosa, the grandmother, and Latoya had both witnessed kitchen doors creaking open, and they both heard footsteps in the basement. They heard the door that led from the kitchen to the basement creak open by itself. They could hear the steady clump of footsteps just after mi- after midnight in the basement. This would continue even though they had locked that door. Rosa said that she even would she would um awaken one night to see a shadowy figure of a man pacing in her living room. Now, that's when Rosa leapt out of her bed to find that that the man had disappeared, but she did discover large wet boot prints in the living room. Then, on the 12th of March in 2012, according to Rosa, the family's unease had turned into total terror. It was around two o'clock in the morning and the family had just witnessed something terrible and something horrifying. Now, normally, Latoya would have her kids in bed well before 2 a.m., but they were in the middle of mourning the death of a loved one, 
and a group of friends were over. So everybody was, you know, kind of about the house and talking and stuff like that and having a hard time sleeping. So everybody was basically up at this time. Latoya was in her mother's room when she started when she startled everyone by screaming, Mama, Mama and that was when Rosa ran into the room where her granddaughter and a friend were staying. And according to both Rosa and Latoya, the twelve year old girl who is Latoya's daughter was levitating above her bed, completely unconscious. Latoya and her mother and several others gathered around the bed and began to pray. Rosa said that she was absolutely terrified. She says, I thought, what's going on? Why is this happening? According to both Latoya and Rosa, None of the people who stayed there that night would return to the house ever again. Rosa said that that's when she remembers telling Latoya that they needed help. We need help. We need to talk to someone who knows how to deal with it, Rosa said to Latoya. Both Rosa and Latoya both said that they didn't know what was what they were dealing with exactly. Though they did know that it was something paranormal and supernatural. They called local churches, but most of them refused to listen. Eventually, one church's officials did listen to Rosa and Latoya. They told them that their house did have spirits in the home. The church officials recommended that the Ammons clean the home with bleach and ammonia, then use oil to draw crosses on the doors and windows, every one of them. At a suggestion from the church, Latoya poured olive oil on the hands and feet of her children, and then she made the shape of a cross in oil on their foreheads. Latoya and Rosa reached out to two clairvoyants who said that their home was infested with over 200 demons. Their explanation made sense because it meshed well with their Christian faith. Now, being cash-strapped, the Ammons family could not move out of that house. That, and that was suggested by the clairvoyants. But Latoya did, however, take one of the clairvoyants' advice and built an altar in the basement. She covered it in a white tablecloth, or a white sheet, rather. It was an end table and put white candles with a statue of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus on it. She also opened a Bible to Psalm 91. She also said that she and another person donned all white clothing during this time, white shirts and white boomed scarves 
around their heads. Also taking a clairvoyant's advice, the Ammons burned sage and sulfur throughout the house, starting upstairs and working their way down. The smoke was so thick that they could hardly breathe. Latoya, grew, Latoya drew a cross with the smoke, and the person she was with read Psalm 91 aloud as they moved through the house. As the psalm goes, you will not you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys by midday. For three whole days after that, nothing out of the ordinary happened. Everything was calm, but that soon came to an end, and things got far, far worse. According to the Ammons family, the children were possessed by demons. The kids' eyes bulged. Evil smiles drew across their faces. Their voice deepened when they spoke, and... Rosa claimed that the demons did not affect her because she was born with a protector with a protector from evil. She said she and others that have this gift has a guardian who protects them. Latoya said that when she was possessed, she felt lightheaded and weak. And also warm her body shook and she felt that she was out of control of herself to quote her I say you can tell it's different something supernatural the youngest son of Latoya who was only seven at the time would sit in the closet and talk to another boy that no one else could see Another son would speak and describe what it felt like to be killed. Now Latoya has stated to the public that she did not want her kids to be named during this whole ordeal, like I said before. The son, who was only seven at the time, was... Oh, the son who was only seven at the time was the seven-year-old boy had been thrown out of the bathroom by an unseen force it was as if someone had physically thrown him out of the room and also the latoya's 12 year old daughter had been smacked in the head with a headboard causing a wound that needed stitches. The daughter would also go on to tell medical 
health officials that she felt like she couldn't breathe nor speak. She also felt a force hold her down in bed. She also felt like she was being choked by an unseen force. She also heard a voice say in her head that she would never see her family again and she would not live for another 20 minutes. Now things in the Ammons house got so terrifying that the family had to sleep in a hotel around this time. Finally, the family reached out to Dr. Jeffrey Onyuku on the 19th of April. After hearing the Ammon story, Dr. Onyuku thought it was bizarre. To quote him, I say, 20 years, and I've never heard anything like that in my life. I was scared myself when I walked into the room. Dr. Onyuku said that he would not he would speak he would not speak more on the subject unless Latoya had a psychiatric clearance for the waiver of con confidentiality. She had already signed, but she didn't get the um psychiatric clearance yet at the time. However, apparently in his medical notebook, he wrote about his visit to the house. The notes concluded included phrases of delusions of ghosts in the house and also hallucinations and history of ghosts in the house in delusional. During Onyuku's visit, Rosa said that Latoya's son cursed the doctor in a demonic voice, even raging at him. According to the medical staff, the youngest boy was lifted and thrown into the wall without anyone touching him. Also, according to Rosa, the boys would abruptly pass out and wouldn't come to. And that was when someone from the medical staff on doc of Dr. Onyuku had called 911. And according to Dr. Onyuku, about seven or eight police showed up and several ambulances had showed up at the house. The police and the medical personnel took the boys to the Methodist Hospital's campus in Gary, Indiana. Latoya said that the hospital staff laughed at her, her desire to anoint her sons in olive oil. When the boys woke up in the hospital, the nine-year-old son acted rationally, but the youngest son, who was only seven, began to scream and thrash about. Latoya said that it took about five men to hold her youngest son down. Someone had called 
DCS to ask them to investigate Latoya for animal or for child abuse or neglect. The caller speculated that Latoya may have had mental illness. The caller, who was not named, believed that the children were performing for Latoya and she was encouraging their behavior. A DCS caseworker by the name of Valerie Walker was asked to investigate the case. She gave her report to the police, and in that report, it's told what Valerie had examined or witnessed while she was when, while she while she interviewed the Amherst family. The hospital staff examined Latoya and her children and found them to be safe and healthy, with without any marks or bruising. And a hospital psychologist, psychiatrist, sorry, evaluated Latoya's mind and found that she had a sound mind. Valerie Washington interviewed the family in the hospital. While speaking with the family, the seven-year-old child began to growl and show his teeth. His eyes even rolled back into his head. The boy locked his hands around his brother's throat and refused to let go until adults pried his hands open. Later that evening, Valerie Washington and a registered nurse by the name of Willie Lee Walker took the boys into a small exam room for an interview. They were joined by their grandmother, Rosa. The seven-year-old boy started, he stared deep into his brother's eyes and began to growl again. He said, it's time to die. I will kill you. The seven-year-old said in a deep and unnatural voice. While the youngest boy spoke, the older brother began to headbutt his grandmother in the stomach. Rosa then grabbed her grandson's hands and started to pray. Then the nine-year-old son had a weird grin on his face and walked backward you heard that right, backward, up the wall to the ceiling, then flipped over his grandmother, landing on his feet. He never let go of his grandmother's hand. When asked by police if the boy could have possibly done some type of aerobatic trick by running up the wall, Valerie Washington responded by saying, No, the boy glided up he glided backward on the floor wall and ceiling she told police she was scared and she ran out of the room with willie lee walker also according to valerie's report she and willie lee walker did report the incident to a doctor but the doctor did not believe them. The doctor did ask the boy to walk up the wall again. 
and Walker said that he told the doctor that he did not believe the boy could do it again because the boy was not himself at the time of the incident. The child said that he did not remember the incident, and he could not repeat the same feat. The nurse Walker said that he previously believed in demons and spirits, and he thought that the boy's behavior had some demonic spirit to it but he thought it was also the result of mental illness. A police report quoted Valerie Washington by saying she believed that there could be an evil influence afflicting the family. Latoya spent the night of that incident in the hospital with her seven-year-old son. The rest of the family went home with Rosa, their grandmother. The very next day was her, her seven-year-old son's birthday. He was turning eight. Rosa returned with the rest of the kids to presumably talk about what happened the day before. And they celebrated the seven-year-old kid's birthday with many cakes and singing. But that was when Latoya broke the news to her children that they would not be going home that night. And this order was through Valerie Washington. The S.C. took the children into care without a court order. They took an emergency emergency step. Emergency step, sorry. According to Valerie's report, all of the children were going through spiritual and emotional distress. On the 20th of April in 2012, Father Michael Maginot received a call from the hospital. Father Maginot had been a priest at the St. Stephen Martyr Parish for more than 10 years, and he never received a call like this one. The chaplain of the hospital asked him to perform an exorcism on a nine-year-old boy. Father Maginot agreed to see the family to interview them a few days later. Later, trying to be now to be rational, Father Maginot ruled out all national natural causes for the phenomena that the Ammon family had been experiencing. He visited the family on the twenty second of April for about two hours, hearing all about the phenomena that the Ammons had been experiencing. But during the interview, Rosa interrupted her their conversation to point out that a light in the bathroom had been flickering, 
and when Father Maginot went over to investigate the flickering bathroom light, suddenly the light would stop flickering all by itself. Father Maginot attributed this occurrence to a demonic presence. The interview was interrupted again when Rosa pointed out that the Venetian blinds were flapping and moving by themselves with no air current. Father Maginot, Maginot also thought that he saw wet footprints all throughout the living room. Latoya complained of having a headache, and when Father said he put a crucifix to Latoya's head, she convulsed. So during what turned out to be a four-hour long interview, because it kept on getting interrupted, Father Maginot was convinced that the house was not only haunted by ghosts, but was also infested by demons. He left the house after blessing each room with holy water. And he also told Latoya that they should stay somewhere safe. Somewhere where evil can't get to them. And they did take that advice. They decided to stay temporarily with a relative during this time. About a week later, Rosa, Valerie Washington, and three police officers returned to the demon house, and Latoya had refused to venture inside. Valerie Washington was there to check on the condition of the home. Now, the officers, one was there at the request of Valerie Washington, and the other two officers were there of professional curiosity. Rosa joined the group while venturing into the home. As we said, Latoya refused to go into the house with them. As they were inspecting the house, they were, you know, just observing the general layout of the house. It's a pretty small house. There's a kitchen, three bedrooms on the first floor, one bathroom, an open kitchen, like I said, in the basement. Now, the basement has a dirt floor underneath these stairs leading down to the, from the kitchen to the basement. Just behind the stairs, there's this, like, this patch of dirt. And it's around this jagged concrete slab or actually not slab but kind of like a wall almost but it the concrete of it is broken it's jagged like it's broken and that's where the makeshift altar that latoya had made is 
the officers also found rings of salt that latoya had poured against the baseboards of the house of the of the basement to dissuade the demons rosa had told the police that the demons the demonic entity at least seemed to emanate from below the stairs as you may remember that's where i said has all the dirt now this is when gary police chap um, captain austin said that he believed in ghosts but not demons that was until he visited that house after that everything changed All right, now I'm going to continue the story after just one little break. And what do you guys think of this story so far? Pretty spooky, huh? Pretty creepy. Pretty terrifying, I gotta say. But it doesn't stop there. We're about to dive in deep. And if you guys, raise your hand if any of you guys have ever seen Demon House, the Zach Bagans documentary. Well, not raise your hand because I can't see you, but, you know, drop a comment somewhere when I post this episode because I'd like to know. And do you believe this story or do you think it's a hoax? You let me know. So, welcome back, everybody. So, where we left off was when we were talking about the police captain, Officer Austin, who said he didn't believe in demons. He believed in the supernatural, and he believed in ghosts, but he didn't believe in demons. That all changed when he visited the Carolina Street house. So let's dive right in to what he must have 
witnessed to change his mind. So, when he was down in the basement with the rest of the officers and Rosa, during an interview with her, one of the officers' audio recorders malfunctioned. The power light flashed to indicate that the batteries were dying, even though the officer had flat, who had placed fresh batteries in the recorder earlier that day. And another officer recorded audio, and when he played it back later, he heard an unknown voice whisper, Hey! Hey! <laughs> that officer who took photos of the house, in one photo of the basement stairs, there was a cloudy white image in the upper right corner. When an officer enlarged the photo, that cloud appeared to resemble a face. The enlargement also revealed a second green image that police say looked like a female. Officer Austin, or Captain Austin, said photos he snapped with his iPhone has seemed to have strange silhouettes in them. The radio in his police-issued Ford malfunctioned on the way home. Later, Captain Austin said the garage in his Gary home refused to open, even though the power was on everywhere else. He also said the driver's seat in his personal 2005 Infinity also started moving backward and forward on his own, on its own, sorry. He said he had the house, he had the car checked at the dealership. And the mechanic told him that the motor in the driver's seat was broken which the mechanic said could have caused a distraction, leading to an accident. Captain Austin said he found himself standing, starting to believe the Ammons family claims of paranormal activity, but the skeptical mental health professionals evaluating the Ammons and her children remained unimpressed by the story. Also, in 2012, April of 2012, the DCS petitioned Lake Juvenile Court for temporary wardship of the three children. That request was granted. The DCS found that Latoya neglected her children's education by not having them in school regularly. The agency made the same finding in 2009. Ammons told Washington that there were times where she did not send the kids to school because the spirits would make them make them sick, or they would be up all night without sleep. The DCS temporarily placed her daughter and older son in a in a foster home in East Chicago and Latoya's youngest son was bent was sent to a Christian haven in Wheatfield for a psychiatric evaluation
Now the DCS set goals for the family. One of them stipulated the children to not discuss demons and being possessed and for, to them, and for them to take responsibility for their actions. They also needed to participate in therapy and address past behavior. And the DCS officials credited LaToya for sharing a close bond with her children. The agency also says she needed to use in alternate forms of discipline, not directly related to religion and demon possession. According to the DCS case plan, appropriate discipline included encouragement, roles, and withholding privileges. She could work on those goals during supervised visits with children. LaToya also had to find a job and appropriate housing due to the paranormal activity on Carolina Street. While LaToya worked on meeting those objectives, objectives, police and the DCS officials continued to investigate strange happenings at the house. Now, this group was a bit larger this time. Rosa, LaToya, and Captain Austin and the two other police officers from the initial visit went back to the house on the afternoon of May 10th, 2012. The police officers visited after work hours. They were joined by Father Maginot, two Lake County officers with a police dog, and a family case manager Now, the new family case manager volunteered to go in Valerie Washington's place because Valerie Washington did not want to go back in the house. A county officer took his police dog around the home, but the dog didn't show any interest in one particular area, according to Lake County Police Records. Everyone else headed to the basement. Now, the new family case manager, Samantha Elick, she touched some strange liquid she saw dripping from the base. She saw dripping in the basement, and said it felt like slippery, wet, sticky, slippery yet sticky in between her fingers. Mag Father Maginot told police he wanted to check the dirt underneath the stairs for a pentagram or any personal objects that might have been cursed. He said a pentagram might indicate a demonic presence and possible portal to hell. Or if someone had died in the house and was buried underneath the stairs, it would it would explain paranormal activity, according to Father Maginot. One of the officers dug a four foot by two by four three foot hole beneath the stairs, 
unearthing a pink press-on nail, a pair of white panties, a political pin, a lid for a small cooking pan, socks with the bottoms cut off below the ankles, candy wrappers, and a metal object that looked like a weight for a drapery cord. And they found nothing else. Their police officer replaced the dirt and raked it over. Father Maginot blessed some salt, which he said is a barrier to evil, and spread it under the stairs throughout the basement. Samantha Elix said that she was later standing in the living room with the rest of the group when her left pinky started to tingle and whiten. She complained that it felt broken, even though physically it wasn't broken. And less than ten minutes later, Elik said she felt as if she was having a panic attack. She couldn't breathe, breathe, so she walked outside to wait for the group. When Father Maginot began to question Latoya inside the house, she complained of a headache and shoulder pain. She then joined Samantha Elick outside. Captain Austin said he left the house at nightfall. He said that he wasn't staying in the house past dark. And Captain Austin had investigated murders, rapes, armed robberies more than for more than three decades. So it takes an awful lot to scare him, but something in that house definitely frightened him. Now the other officers continued to walk through the home. On the main floor, they noticed an oil-like substance dripping from the Venetian blinds in a bedroom but couldn't figure out where it was coming from. To make sure Rosa or Latoya hadn't poured oil on the blinds, two of the officers used paper towels to clean it off. The officers sealed the room for 25 minutes and stood nearby so nobody could walk in. When they went to go walk back in the bedroom, the oil had reappeared. Father Maginot told police that the liquid was a manifestation of a paranormal or demonic presence. Now he wrote a report detailing his findings to Bishop Dale Melzick's permission for Dale Melzick's permission to perform an exorcism on Latoya. Now according to Father Maginot, Melzick never authorized an exorcism in 21 years as Bishop of the Diocese of Gary. Melzick initially denied Father Maginot's request to do a, a church-sanctioned exorcism. The bishop told Father Maginot to contact other priests who have performed exorcism. 
Father Maginer said he needed other priests to give him the ritual for a minor, minor exorcism, which does not require church approval. The priest he consulted told him to look it up on the internet. He said he did an intense blessing on the Carolina Street home to expel bad spirits. The same day, Father Maginot performed a minor exorcism on Latoya. The ritual consisted of prayers, statements, and appeals to cast out demons. Now, two officers, Samantha Elick and the DCS family case manager, had attended the ritual. Elick said she left believing that something was going on, even though she wouldn't go as far to say it was demonic. She said she got chills during the nearly two-hour rite. It felt like someone was in the room with you, she says, during someone breathing down your neck. Samantha Elick said she had a string of medical problems after visiting the hotel, I mean the home, sorry. A week after she visited the house for the last time, Elick said that she got third-degree burns from a motorcycle. Within 30 days, she also broke three ribs, jet skiing broke a hand when she hit a table, and then broke an ankle while running in flip-flops. She says, I'd had friends who wouldn't talk to me because they believed that something had attached itself to me, Samantha Elick said. I'm already evil. They try to find something that's not evil and corrupt it. They wouldn't waste their time on me. After the minor, the minor ritual, Father Magina told Latoya to look up the names of demons that were tormenting her. Each demon had a name and a personality, Father Magina said. A name has power and he planned to use those names to fight the demons during the exorcisms. Latoya, she, Latoya said she and her friend looked up the demons' names online by searching for demons that represented the problems that her family had been having. The computer kept shutting down, and she said she felt sick and lightheaded, but she found the names that fit. She, she said that they found the names of demons that torture and hurt kids, which she felt explained what happened on in the house in Carolina Street. Latoya said that other high-ranking demons were assigned to her, including lieutenants and sergeants.
after the minor rite, Father Maginot said Bishop Nelson gave him permission to exercise Latoya. The ritual is the same as the minor exorcism, but more powerful, because it had the backing of the Catholic Church, Father Maginot said. Maginot ultimately performed three major exorcisms on Latoya, two in English and the last one in Latin, in June of 2012 in his Maryville Church. During each, Father Maginot praised God and condemned the devil. He held a, cruci a crucifix against Latoya's head as he spoke. I cast you out, unclean spirit, along with every satanic power of the enemy, every specter from hell, and all, and all your well companions in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Father Maginot said his voice continued to get louder and louder and more forceful until the demon weakened. He said he could tell how strong the demon was by how much Latoya convulsed. Two officers, who had kept in touch with Father Maginot since the home investigation, stood nearby in case Latoya needed to be constrained. Latoya said that she actually prayed with Father Maginot until it became too painful. She said it was as if she felt as if something inside her was trying to hold on and inflict pain at the same time. She said it was different from a natural pain, but it felt as intense as giving birth. She said, I was hurting all over from the inside out. I'm trying to do my best and be strong. Eventually, Latoya fell asleep. She said that the demon's way of lessening the ritual's effect. In between of the second and third exorcisms, Maginot said he went on a retreat. A woman who assisted Father Maginot with some of the exorcisms helped set up a background plan backup plan in case Latoya had problems while Father Maginot was gone. The woman wrote a long demon name, and Father Maginot said he can't remember which one it was, on a piece of paper and tucked it on an envelope. Then she surrounded it with blessed salt. If Latoya had problems, the woman would the envelope. By this time, Latoya and her mother moved to Indianapolis, but they drove back for the end for the exorcisms and court hearings, as her children were still in the DCS's care. Father Maginot said he had blessed the family's new home to prevent any more problems, but Latoya called Father Maginot while he was on his retreat, complaining of bad dreams. So the woman burned the envelope. She saved the ashes to, to burn later in a church bonfire.
But after that, Latoya said her nightmares ended. In the final exorcism of June in 2012, Father Magina said he prayed and berated the demons in Latin rather than English. Now, this would be the last time that Latoya would see Father Maginot. She and her mother drove back to Indianapolis, where they now live without fear. Latoya's old home on Carolina Street became an object of local curiosity, so much that the new owner and landlord, Charles Reed, called the Garrett Police Department to ask officers to stop driving by the house because it was scaring his new tenant. He said there were no problems in the home before or after Latoya and her family had lived there, and to quote him, I say, I thought I heard it all. Now, Charles Reed has been a landlord for 33 years. This was a new one to me. My belief system has a hard time jumping over that bridge. When told of the Catholic Church's involvement in the situation, however, Charles Reed said that that made him less, less skeptical. Latoya regained custody of her three children in November of 2012, six months after they had been removed. The DCS continued to check in on the children and make sure they were going to school until the case was closed in February. Latoya called her children's return the happiest day of her life. And to quote Latoya when I say, it was just awesome. I hadn't been that happy in God's, God knows how long. The children said they feel safe after they left the house on Carolina Street.
So what do you guys think of that? Oh my lord. And I just want to mention that the people who have lived in that house after the Ammons family had left said that they report no strange activity and no paranormal events had ever happened. It just makes you wonder. And what to make about those stairway, that stairs where they found the dirt floor with the fingernail and the panties buried underneath it. That was strange. I don't know, y'all. Maybe was somebody was trying to curse the Ammons family. Who knows? You just gotta wonder about that type of thing. I think in the documentary, the Zach Bacon's documentary, though, they do kind of speculate that somebody was trying to curse somebody who was living in that house. An ex-boyfriend. A, a disgruntled ex-boyfriend who, you know, dabbled in the dark arts, if you know what I mean. But also, according to that documentary, there was paranormal activity that was going on before the Ammons had moved into that house. There was another um, family that was living there, and there's this, what I've got from it, just like a creepy vibe down in the basement that was always there. And it was a lady who lived there in her teens. And she said that she never liked the basement, but her brother had a room down there. And she said, oh, I always stayed out of the basement. Her brother ended up getting killed, I think. But even though, she used to have friends over, and they said that they would hear stuff in the middle of the night. So, honestly, who knows? In the documentary, she also brings her kids, and they have, like, weird experiences in that house as well so maybe i mean who knows honestly i honestly don't know but what do you guys think do you think it was haunted do you think it was all an elaborate story and or was somebody was latoya crazy was the whole family delusional i want to hear your guys's opinions But you know what? I've been wanting to do this story for a while now, and I hope you guys enjoyed it.
All right, y'all. Thank you guys so, so much for joining me for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. As I enjoyed learning about it, it was always a a super terrifying um, story for me to, you know, listen to and watch. And I hope you guys felt the same. I I hope you guys were entertained and a little bit spooked and you gave us some thought. And without being said, I want to wish you guys a good night, and I hope you guys make good choices and stay safe and be kind to one another. But I hope this episode makes you think twice about what goes bump in the night. And are you really sure you know what made that sound? And are you really sure you know what you saw in the corner of your eye? It's like H.P. Lovecraft once said, The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. And with that, I wish you all a good night. And I hope I see you guys next week for an all new episode. Sweet dreams.